Welcome to the Seahawks Forever podcast, hosted by longtime Northwest sports journalist Dan Viennes. News, reaction, and opinion. In-depth analysis on everything Seahawks. And now, here's your host, Dan Viennes. It is draft week. <laughs> I think uh, the last show I did last Friday uh, with Emery Hunt, I think I said at the beginning only four days until the draft. Because I thought it was Monday, okay? My schedule's been a little jacked uh, lately, and they all seem to run together. Lots of lots of Groundhog Day uh, things happening. So uh, now I can say that the draft is just four days away as the first round gets underway in Kansas City on Thursday. We're finally here. My God, it feels like it's been forever. We have been talking about this draft every single day for the last five months, and it's because the Seahawks have five top 100 picks, and... Um, there's a lot at stake. And so we're going to be breaking it down here again for you today. I will say this apologies in advance. If I have any issues, I am not feeling well. I'm under the weather. I've been battling something for the last four or five days. It's not fun, but you know what? The best ability is availability. They say, and, uh, the show must go on and I'm just going to suck it up and rub some dirt on it and do this show for you. Um, a uh, little programming note. I had mentioned last week that uh, Bill Alfstad and Keith Myers of the fantastic playbook Seahawks playbook podcast were going to join me today. We decided in part because of uh, me being under the weather a little bit, uh, but also for another reason that we're going to move it to a week from today and do a full draft recap show. So I'll be having them on my show and we're going to break down everything that the Seahawks did over those three days, including maybe by then we'll have some ideas of uh, undrafted free agency. We uh, We also decided that you know, like I said, we've been talking about this for months and months and months and months on end. And I think there's a little bit of malaise setting in. And and some of you have said that to me, expressed that to me. And so rather than uh, than continue to analyze and overanalyze what we think the Seahawks are going to do on Thursday, uh, we're going to analyze what they did. So don't forget, mark your calendars. Uh, that'll be Monday evening, Pacific Coast time around uh, 4.30 or 5 o'clock Pacific time on Monday. Um, I may hop on Wednesday also just on the eve of the draft with some final thoughts and uh, reacting to any other reports or rumors or news that are out there. But today, here's what I'm going to do for you. I've given you a bunch of mock drafts. It's mock draft Monday, right? And I've used simulators. I've done trade downs. I've done uh, curveball drafts. Um, and ultimately, I promised you that I would do a mock draft the way I would do it if I were sitting in John Schneider's seat. Sort of my ideal, perfect mock draft. And here's what I'm going to say. Um, you'll see, if you're watching on the live stream, you're going to see that I put perfect in quotations. I think on the title of the show, it's that way as well. And it's because it's kind of a trick, right? There is no perfect. There isn't. I've run, I would estimate I have run 500 plus draft simulations on all of the various mock draft simulators to try and get a feel for different big boards and such. And I, I like some more than others. And you probably get tired of hearing me say, this is my favorite one so far, but I've never been able to do one where I walk away thinking that I checked every box because it's not possible. <laughs> Because it's just not possible. So we're going to get to that. Uh, the closest I could come and uh, 
and I'll give you my parameters when I get there. But first, I'm going to give you my list of my guys. This is happening a lot. It happens every year, and I'm seeing some of the some of the really, really good um, sort of national draft analysts doing this. And this is fun. These are these are guys that not necessarily you think are the best players at their position or even at, at their position of value where they fall in the draft. They're just guys. I guess some people refer to these as draft crushes also. But the whole idea behind it is, is players that you would pound the table for that might not be popular choices, that might be under the radar, that might have gotten lost in the shuffle and just don't get talked about as much. Or maybe early in the process, they had some buzz and, and some of that's faded. You know, th- these guys aren't on my list, but I think about, you know, look back to the beginning of this draft process. And as Seahawk fans, we're looking at the defensive end, edge, outside linebacker types, because we know that's a big need. And guys like Isaiah Foskey and Zach Harrison, Foskey from Notre Dame, Harrison from Ohio State, stepping off the bus. They look the part, long arms. They have all the specs and everything else. And they were guys that were routinely mocked top of the first, early second round. And now those guys are almost afterthoughts. You just don't hear any buzz about them anymore at all. Some of them you see dropping into the bottom parts of top 100 lists. And those are all coming out today too. You've got Dane Brugler came out with his top 100 recently. Uh, Daniel Jeremiah just today came out with his top 150. And I'll be referencing those again a little bit later in the show. But these are more guys that are sort of your favorites that I don't necessarily take in every mock draft because sometimes it just doesn't fall that way but guys that I love. And I guess the the measuring stick for this list is if the Seahawks were to draft any of these players, I would have Owen Schmidt level excitement. <laughs> and I want to explain that for a minute. Uh, first of all, how many of you even remember Owen Schmidt? It will kind of tell us a little bit about uh, your history as Seahawk fans. But off the top of my head, I want to say Owen Schmidt was, he was a fullback out of West Virginia. And what draft was that? Without looking it up, it had to have been, because I remember where I was at the moment, between 2007, 2011. I want to say maybe 2008 or nine. And he was just a guy that I loved. If you remember him, he's the dude that like comes roaring out of the tunnel. Uh, I think he had long hair. He just looked like someone who was a street fighter and he would bang his helmet against his forehead and it made him bleed. I think he did it once as a Seahawk as well. And back then it was Mike Holmgren. We, we actually used a fullback. It was, it was a thing. And he was such a throwback and he was so tough. And I want to say, this is all top of my head. I didn't look this up. I want to say sixth round. Fifth or sixth round, but I'm uh, I'm managing a sports bar back then. It's a Sunday afternoon. It was back when the the draft leaked into. I think it was just Saturday and Sunday, and it was a early Sunday morning. Nobody was there yet. I had the place to myself. Might not have even opened the doors for business yet, but I had all my opening stuff done. And the Seahawks were up, and the the name was scrolled across the bottom. It was Owen Schmidt, and I. Like, I don't know if my boss ever went back and looked at security cam footage or not, but I, I kind of wish I would have had it. I, I could have captured this moment in time. I was so irrationally excited about Owen Schmidt being the pick in that spot that I was yelling and hooting and hollering, running around the bar. Um, may have had, may have poured myself a celebratory drink. It's possible. My memory's a little hazy after all that time. I mean, Owen Schmidt didn't turn out to be anything. I, it's just that he was a guy that I had looked at, that I had 
that I had kind of glommed onto and, and really had an affinity for. And we took him. And as Seahawks fans, you know that it's so rare when they do that. Last year, maybe being the exception, you know, we've talked about this, how year after year after year, they step to the podium and in your head, you're kind of reeling through the names you want to hear in that moment. And it's never the name. Uh, but last year, I think that was a little more common. Can't see how this, can't wait to see how this year goes. But what I did here is I broke it down by position. I just basically picked one of my dudes at each position, draft crush, whatever you want to call it. But these are all guys that are day three, a couple of these, these players might leak into the third round. Uh, but primarily they're, they're in a consensus world. They're all sort of viewed as third day picks. Okay. So sort of under the radar. I'm going to start with quarterback because I rarely take a quarterback in these drafts. Uh, and a little side note, <laughs> um, those of you who follow me on Twitter may have seen this yesterday, but a uh, little bit of a pet peeve and also just, you know, keep in mind this is lying season, right? Somebody posted um, a scene from a Star Trek episode where there was this robot. And I remember the episode, but I hadn't seen this clip in a long time. And the robot couldn't respond uh, to lies and somebody was lying to it in a certain way that made it kind of melt down. This is just that season, right? And so everything that's leaked out over the next couple of days that the Seahawks are leaning this way or are reported to um, have interest in this player. It's one thing if someone goes and visits, right? Like when, when it was reported last week that Steve Hutchinson went out and worked out Joe Tipman, that's different. That's a, that's a legitimate report about something that actually happened and may indicate interest in that player. But yesterday, Mike Florio and pro football talk, um, posted a story that the Seahawks really like Anthony Richardson and may take him at five if he's there, depending on what else happens on the board. And that kind of plays into a little pet peeve at this time of year, but I'm guilty of it too. Look, we're, we're just, we've run out of things to say, right? We've known this for months, haven't we? We've known that the Seahawks are interested in Anthony Richardson and, and maybe not in a, in, a, in a specific, tangible way that somebody was quoted as saying it, but we just know that they looked hard at him, and we know that Anthony Richardson carries himself in such a way that he tilts the room the way John Schneider says, and that he's someone that his, his demeanor and his makeup and his leadership ability and his work ethic was, is Pete Carroll all day long. And so it's not, that, that in and of itself wasn't a story at all. Fine, I just scrolled right by it. And then about an hour later, this Twitter account called NFL Draft or NFL Rumors, I don't even want to give them credit by saying exactly what their Twitter handle is. They tweeted out, the Seahawks are expected to draft Anthony Richardson at number five. No, they're not. <laughs> no, they're not. And you can just see the timing. And if you've seen this, uh, account. I don't follow them, but they get retweeted all the time. They have 200,000 fucking followers. 200,000 people. And you read the replies and people get excited about this shit. They don't source it. It clearly was regurgitating Florio's report. And yet they embellish it and use the word expected, which would imply 
that they have knowledge, that a source has said he's the top guy on their draft board and they're hoping he falls to five. It's such utter fucking garbage and I cannot stand it. And it's not jealousy. Maybe a tinge. I mean, I've been on Twitter for 14 years. I've been doing this for a long time. I actually have a broadcast background. I've actually done this shit. I've actually worked in journalism for several years, have a degree in it. And I'm closing as much as y'all say really nice things. And, and, uh, and the momentum that the show has built the last few months on YouTube and is, is terrific and fantastic. And I love you all. And you've been very, very kind and supportive. I'm closing in on 2000 followers on Twitter. And this account that just tweets nothing but garbage has 200,000. I don't know. Uh, I started just picking select tweets from that account yesterday and just like rebuffing them. Nope. No source on this. There's nothing to indicate that. Nope. This is, this is just retweeting someone else's bullshit. Uh, Bob Condota replied that I'm doing God's work and maybe that's my calling. Maybe I need to create an account that does nothing but just go after that account. No, it wouldn't last very long. Anyway, sorry, a little side note, a little tangent there. Uh, okay, here we go. <laughs> this is my list of my guys. Okay. And, and I, I think the reason I went on that tangent is I'm starting at quarterback and I just haven't you know, it's been a while. You've seen me do mock drafts where I start at quarterback to indicate to you that you can still have a quality draft. It's probably one of the things I'll, I'll talk about Wednesday and my final thoughts before we get to draft day is to just keep that in mind. If they do go quarterback at five, you know, the sky isn't falling. They can still have a great draft and fill all their needs. But Jake Hayner's the guy that I chose. And, and he's someone that I've liked from the beginning anyway. He's just, um, I think if there's... If there's, everyone's looking for the next Brock Purdy in this draft, right? And if there is one, I think it's Hayner. And the, it's not a great parallel because Hayner's not going to last until the Mr. Ir Irrelevant spot. He's probably going to go in the fifth round, maybe even the fourth. And he kind of fits that mold. You know, he's, he's not that big. He's six foot. But like Purdy, he's played a ton of football. And I think this is something when it comes to late round quarterbacks that teams are just going to maybe think twice about and start putting more weight on is he might not have the arm you want. He might not have the RAS score that you want. But he's experienced, played a lot of football. Uh, Dorian Thompson Robinson's uh, another guy that falls into this category. But I like Hayner because he's really, really accurate. The ball placement's great. He doesn't have a cannon, but he can still fit it into those seam throws that I always look for. Can a guy play in the NFL? Can he throw that ball down the seam? Uh, he's competitive. He's tough. He's played hurt. He's played severely hurt before. You can't take him out of a game. But also he ended up scoring one of the highest scores on this S2 test, which, you know, we've debated with Emory Hunt on Friday as far as uh, how it relates to C.J. Stroud and his low score. But Hayner scored a very, very high. Um, so he's just a guy that if the Seahawks want to take a developmental quarterback, maybe with one of those extra fifth-round picks if he's there, I would support that all day long. At running back, you've heard me talk about it. Corbin Smith and I talked about him last week as well. Evan Hull at Northwestern. He's just, he's kind of a throwback again. He runs extremely hard. Hardest runner at the Senior Bowl. Um, but he's got a little shake to his game. Also, I just love his versatility. He's a, he's a, he's a hammer in the running game, but he's also 
surprisingly adept in pass protection and catching the football. One of uh, one of only a couple of players in the last couple of years that had 500 yards rushing and receiving last year. I think he'd be a great compliment to Ken Walker. At wide receiver, I haven't talked about this guy in a while, but Jaden Reed out of Michigan State, another guy I wasn't that familiar about going into the senior bowl, but he was just outstanding. You know, barely six foot. He can play inside and outside. Uh, quick, great route runner, good hands. Uh, he'd be a great complimentary receiver. Tight end, Zach Koontz. I love upside from the tight end position. They don't need a guy that can play day one. This is the kid out of Old Dominion. He used to be a five-star recruit. Can't remember the school now, but then he he, he transferred to uh, Old Dominion. Uh, just blew up the combine. Outstanding athlete. Six foot eight. A uh, lot to work with here. Um, and he wouldn't have to play as a rookie. And the Seahawks have some contract issues coming up with tight ends. At guard, City Sal out of Eastern Michigan. Um, someone who at 325 plus pounds is an outstanding athlete. Um, the only reason I usually don't take him higher in drafts and miss out on him sometimes is because he's only played the left side, played left tackle as a freshman, moved to left guard. I think the Seahawks need at least the opportunity to compete as a rookie would be on the right side. Don't know if he could play that way. Pete and John have talked about left-handed versus right-handed. There's some mixed messages there, but just a guy that at that size is incredibly athletic, can get to the second level and is a mauler also from a small school. Uh, he's kind of rising draft boards, but still probably a day three guy because of the level of competition. And at center, it's Alex Forsyth. We've talked to death about the top five or six centers, and I've named all the names. Forsyth was a guy at the very beginning of the process that I loved, and then I was surprised that he was being mocked so low in these drafts. Sixth, seventh round usually. Out of Oregon. Uh, a guy who's athletic enough that in an outside zone scheme can pull and 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 lead off tackle from the center position, can get to the second level. Uh, good technician. There's some questions about his base and his strength, but I don't know that those questions are that much more significant than they are for Luke Weipler, who we all like as a Seahawks target, right? Um, but then when I had Emery Hunt on Friday, um, he has him as his number one center, and so it just opened my eyes again to to this guy's potential. And it, and he's just an ideal scheme fit. So if the Seahawks decide to wait on center because they have Evan Brown, uh, Forsyth is a guy that I love. On the defensive side, defensive tackle, Keandre Coburn, he's more of a nose tackle. You've heard me talk about him a lot. Uh, when I look at the bigger dudes, 335 pounds, I want motor. And this guy has uh, absolute motor. He never goes anything less than 100%. Uh, he can run plays down. Um, I think he's got a little bit of pass rush juice to him. Um, but he's just a, a, a guy that you can get on day three that can that can play significant snaps as a nose tackle as a rookie. Defensive end, I put this at because I think that's what he is. It's Mike Morris. And for those of you who saw him at the combine, you thought, geez, he actually fell down a couple of times. He tested terribly. Uh, Mike Morris is one of the few guys in this draft that I think is a true 3-4 defensive end. He's a guy the Seahawks met with. Um, he's 6'5", 280 pounds, so he can be that edge setter. Doesn't have a, a lot in the pass rush toolbox, but remember the Seahawks hired Brandon Jordan to come in and, and teach that skill specifically. He's mostly just a bull rusher at this point, but he's extremely strong. He's got that size and length the Seahawks are looking for. Uh, could be a steal on day three. At more of an edge, as we like to call it, Isaiah McGuire out of Missouri is a guy that every time I turn on the tape, I don't know why he's not a second rounder. He just, he's got motor, he's got juice, he's got bend, he's got lean, he's 275 pounds, he's got length. He just, he's one of those guys that when you're trying to watch other players, 
in a game that he's in, he just ends up standing out. And if you miss out on edge or you decide to wait because you target another spot earlier, he's a guy, again, that would just be a steal on day three. Uh, corner, I listed Darius Rush. And and this out of South Carolina, this guy's everywhere. I've seen him in the second round. I've seen him in the sixth round. But when I look at the consensus rankings and big boards, he's available in the fifth round. And so uh, he's a guy that if he slips because of the overall strength of this corner class, and he's one of the guys that gets lost in the shuffle a little bit, 6'2", 200, fits the Seahawks, you know, length thresholds. Uh, Might have been the best corner at the Senior Bowl, just shadowing guys all day long, playing press man, really excels there. Um, at safety, J.L. Skinner, and this is a guy that wouldn't have qualified as a my guy contender a couple of months ago. He was a second round pick all day long at the beginning of the draft process. 6-4-2-18. There's been comparisons to Cam Chancellor. He's noted that Cam's his favorite player. Uh, he's big, he's physical, he's the hardest hitter in this safety class. Uh, but he also moves incredibly well. He's very athletic and can cover. Um, he's been hampered by an injury in this draft process, and that's why I think I've seen him slip. And he's been in the 90s in some of these top 100 and top 150 lists. And so uh, the overall safety class has been downgraded since the combine because none of them are great athletically. And I think he might get caught in the wash with that a little bit. And if he were to slip, man, he'd look good in Seahawk blue, wouldn't he? And then linebacker, if you've been listening listening to me much, I don't think this will surprise any of you. My dude out of Arkansas, Bumper Pool. I think in a draft that lacks true Mike linebacker types, guys that can just uh, read and react, stack and shed, take on blocks, run sideline to sideline, come up and take on the run, blitz, get to the quarterback from time to time, drop and cover. Uh, he's 6'2", 235. There aren't many guys built like him in this draft. And he's in the sixth, seventh round all the time, sometimes not even drafted. Number of teams have met with him. I just think maybe because of the attention on his teammate, Drew Sanders, he's falling through the cracks. But he's a guy that he's a guy that I I saved him for last because that would get the Owen Schmidt reaction out of me. If they take bumper pool in the sixth round uh, this Saturday, uh, you're going to be able to hear me in downtown Seattle screaming and yelling. So that's my list of uh, my guys. Um Hop in if you uh, if you want to into the comments on YouTube. Uh, it'll show up here on uh, my stream software, and uh, we'll get your guys in there as well too. All right, it is time for my final Seahawks mock draft of the season. Final of many. What I have shared with you on this show is merely the tip of the iceberg of what I have done. Um, uh, again, I think I think I've done over five hundred. It's a problem. And I actually am kind of looking forward to taking a break. Although, you know, as soon as this draft's done, all the simulators are going to have their 2024 classes on there, right? It'll be time to start looking ahead. Uh, and what I mean by perfect, and you'll see when I put the graphic up, if you're watching this, uh, that I have perfect in quotations. And I touched on this at the top of the show, but I want to play this for you because this I love this quote. thought of this the other day. I saw it pop up uh, on social media. My favorite baseball movie for 30 years was Bull Durham. It has been uh, overtaken by Moneyball, um, a movie that I watch once or twice a year. And uh, I love this quote from it. And and I hear this quote pop into my head a lot of times when you talk about and you read all this draft speculation. This is Billy Bean talking to his old, crusty, old school scout who has a, a problem with the way he's doing things and kind of preaching to him a little bit. You don't have a crystal ball. You can't look at a kid and predict his future. 
any more than I can. I've sat at those kitchen tables with you and listened to you tell those parents, when I know, I know. And when it comes to your son, I know. And you don't. You don't. You don't. I don't. You don't. Matt Miller doesn't. Dane Brugler doesn't. Daniel Jeremiah doesn't. None of them know. And this year more than ever. I mean, I've I've seen quotes from actual NFL executives who say, uh, I read one yesterday, an anonymous, obviously, uh, NFL executive says, uh, says, I do mock drafts all the time. We do mock drafts as part of our exercise. And, and I have no confidence that they're right at all. They're probably garbage. Like they, they just don't know this year more than ever before because of how many kids stayed in school um, that, that seemed to be surefire first or second rounders because of, you know, the, the influx of uh, name, image, and likeness money, keeping some guys around. Um, the, just the ratings and the ranking, there, there is no consensus. You're talking about consensus big boards, there is none. When I go through this, I'm going to give you a little a little taste of uh, two different lists. Um, Daniel Jeremiah, as I said, came out with his last, uh, his most recent top 150 today. Dane Brugler came out with his updated top 100 last week. Two guys I really respect. And and the thing about these two guys and the reason that I use their lists over some others is they actually have contacts in the league, especially DJs, worked as a scout for many years for different organizations. So they have people that they talk to, that they trust, that have some more insight than they do into what teams might be thinking about some of these players. Uh, I started out and I was using the draft network also because they go to, they go much deeper. There's some players that just, that I'm going to draft in the fourth, fifth, sixth round that aren't on either of these lists because they just don't go deep enough. Thing about the draft network, I love the work those guys do over there. They've done a, a ton of work. A bunch of their guys that, that founded that side have gone on to a lot bigger and better things. Um, and they do go deeper, but they're, they don't have those connections and they aren't basing any of their rankings on that. And also their rankings are so different than anything else that's out there. So I just stuck to DJ and Brugler. And the way I did this, I did not use a simulator. I didn't want to be a slave to a simulator because I tried. After I built this list, I tried to see if I could replicate it on a simulator and I couldn't because just so much weird stuff would happen above five and I could never get it just right. Um, so I'm basing this as much as I can on all the objective information that I have at this moment. Rumors and, and reports and things that seem to be happening in the top five or six. Things that I've read that scouts have said about these players. Things that draft analysts have said about these players, where they fall on these big boards. And I put it together manually. And again, Perfect is in quotations because there is no such thing. Even as I finish this, I don't know. There's, I have regrets and I'll share those afterwards. But let me put it up here for you. So this is it. And the closer I get to this draft, talked about it last week, the more comfortable I am with Jalen Carter. And I think... The fan base seems to be more comfortable with it. I think the league as a whole, it's been three or four weeks now that that almost the, the consensus of what national analysts 
think the Seahawks are going to do is Jalen Carter now. He was Tyree Wilson for a while. There's a lot of quarterback talk. Now it seems to be, and there was a, the big story last week that the people around the league think the Seahawks are going to go Jalen Carter. I'm not 100% convinced. There's other options. We've talked to death about them. He's the perfect player for the spot of greatest need. I do believe that if there are significant concerns about whether this guy's going to be committed to football, that they will not take him. But if they're even on the fence, I think there's reason to believe that they think they have built a locker room full of leaders that can take this guy and show him the way. Um, Also, um, that uh, the coaching staff in place on the defensive side of the ball just doesn't, they're very no-nonsense and they just don't take shit. And if this guy came in and had a good visit and, and in some way convinced Schneider, Carroll, and the defensive staff that he was ready to get to work, then he'll be the pick. But I've also talked about how this roster is thin. 52 players under contract right now. Corbin Smith pointed out last week that this time of year, typically over the last three or four years, by late April before the draft, they have 75 to 77 players under contract typically. There's no, right now, as it stands, they are, uh, they're in the red when it comes to cap. If they were to sign all their draft picks, they wouldn't, they would go over the cap. So there's some maneuvering that has to be done that limits what they'll be able to do after the draft and signing free agents. Although they will do that maneuvering and they will sign those free agents, they're going to be limited and looking for guys who've kind of fallen through the cracks. And there's a bunch of them out there who will take close to veteran minimum. And so they need this draft and undrafted free agency period to fill out the roster with guys who can make the team and contribute in some key areas because there's just some, there's some empty rooms. There's no healthy nose tackle. There's only two running backs. We've, we've been through this, right? So I'm looking for players that can contribute right away and I want more picks. So I am looking to trade down and I think there is an opportunity. I've seen enough scenarios And there was one I posted on Twitter today with the Houston Texans throwing in that curveball. If they go defense at two, and then that's probably going to precipitate Arizona getting what they want, trading out of three to a team that wants to come up and get Stroud. And a lot of things can happen where Carter can still be there at seven. And again, this is my perfect, this is my fantasy draft, right? And so I've got the Seahawks trading uh, down to seven here. And here was the, the return. And I based this specifically on the Rich Hill trade chart. Okay. And I got a little creative here. So traded down uh, from five to seven with Las Vegas. Uh, and I wanted the trade matchup to be even. We would only be getting a third round pick back. I wanted more than that. And so I sent five and 154, the second of the two back to back, almost back to back fifth rounders. Five and 154 to Vegas for seven and 38. So basically, by moving down two spots, we move up 120 spots from the middle of the fifth round to the top of the second round. So we're going to benefit from this in the second round at all. We're going to have back to back picks at 37 and 38, and we get Jalen Carter. Okay. Then at 20, I trade down to 27 with Buffalo. Hypothetically, I could see a scenario where if B. John Robinson is still sitting there at 20, 
what has Buffalo really lacked the last couple of years going up against Chiefs, right? That dynamic running back. So the cost of that, again, based on the trade chart, is the Seahawks, by moving down seven spots to 27, would receive a third rounder, number 91 overall, and a fifth rounder, number 137. So I've accomplished my goal of adding picks on day two. I joked the other day that we have uh, three picks on day two. I want 10. Well, now we have five. And now we've gone to where we will have seven of the first 100 picks in the draft. At 27, Keon White, you know how much I love him, out of Georgia Tech. I'm doubling down, and I'm sticking to the basics. Remember, as much as some of my earlier mocks played around with the, you know, this great tight end class and some of the dynamic wide receivers before you hit the ledge, at the beginning of the offseason, Pete Carroll and John Schneider both came out and said, we need to get more dynamic up front, tougher, more physical, longer. And then you look at the construction of the roster, and there just are not enough bodies up there. And they can't afford to go fill that out in free agency. They have to address it in the draft. And they have to address it with players that can play right away. Which is why I think they've interviewed so many players that are 24 years old. Keon White, I know, I'm going to hear it. Too old. You know what? He's going to play day one. And you're going to love him because he never takes a playoff. He plays fast all the time. He can bull rush. He's got some moves, some hand usage. He can reduce inside. He can play that 3-4 defensive end. You're going to love Keon White's game, and you're not going to give a shit how old he is. And now you've addressed two of their biggest needs in the first two picks. We get into the second round, Drew Sanders. And I know the Jack Campbell people are going to come at me. And I've talked about Jack Campbell for four months. And he's usually available at 37. I lean Drew Sanders now because of the versatility and also because I have read enough scouting reports and things coaches have said about this player that he can play off the ball. He can play inside linebacker. He can take on blocks. He can stack. He can shed. So you play him at will now, that increases his value to me tenfold because he's also an edge. And he's 6'4", and he's long, and he can come off the edge, and he can rush the passer, and he can cover. He is a dynamic, explosive player. And I think he just has that little bit more versatility and a little bit more explosion than Campbell, who's going to be slightly above Sanders as a stack and shed inside linebacker. But you look at what the Seahawks are doing. You look at how often they're going to be in nickel. That's not as important. I think it's close, and I love Campbell. But Sanders is a guy that's more versatile to me and can help you in more ways with this roster right now and also his development moving forward. And then at 38, Mazzy Smith, because I want to make sure that I have a nose tackle. I don't care if this guy doesn't have any sack production. He doesn't need to. That's not what you're asking him to do. You're asking him to take on blockers and gaps in the middle. Imagine Draymond Jones, Jalen Carter, next to Mazzy Smith, Keon White working in that rotation, Jaron Reed working in that rotation. Now you're talking. You had those four first players that I just took. That run defense is dramatically improved. And you get a little pass rush juice with White and Sanders and Carter too. So now that I've checked those main boxes, right? 
the things that are keeping me up at night that, that we just don't have those on the roster. We got to fix them. We have to fix them in this draft. You've checked those boxes. Now it gives you more freedom. And I've talked about the need for a third wide receiver and I've mostly focused on slot guys, but Jonathan Mingo seems to be available in this range most of the time. And I'm just a huge fan in particular because a lot of scout, scouts think even at 6'2", 200, 205, he's a big slot. He's a guy that has the whole package. I, I, I've heard one comp was Anquan Bolden, but who actually runs a 4-5. Great route runner, strongest hands in the draft, maybe. Dude's going to catch things in tight windows and traffic. And uh, he's been described as the most tenacious blocker in this draft, and you know that's going to appeal to Shane Waldron and Pete Carroll. So I love Mingo there as a complimentary piece as a receiver. Third round, again, talked about age. I've told you how I don't care, especially this year, because they need players that can play right away. They need players that can play right away. And there's a needed edge because there's contractual issues there moving forward. And I don't care that he's 24. Watch Byron Young's tape. The Seahawks had him in for a visit. I try to tie some of that in here as much as I can. He's a guy that's going to play as a rookie. He might be better than Daryl Taylor. With his bend, his long arms, his explosiveness. Uh, he's a guy that even if you just get one contract out of him, so what? So I waited on center, right? I waited on center. At 52, based on the rankings, uh, I could have gone uh, Minga. Oh, and I, I promise you I would share some of this stuff with you. Just, just to give you an idea. Let me back up just a little bit. Sorry about this. Keon White. Uh, DJ has him at 28, had him as high as eight early in the process. Brugler at 47, uh, Drew Sanders, Brugler has at 28, DJ at 43. So they kind of flip-flop on those two. Um, I'm sorry, 63. Mazzy Smith, Brugler at 39, DJ at 43. They're pretty close on agreement on that one. So I think that's perfect value. And Jonathan Mingo, DJ has him at 52, right where I took him. And Brugler at 86, He's a little low on him. Uh, Byron Young. He's a guy that I know I'm a little higher on. DJ has him at 109. Um, so then I go Whipler, or I don't know. I should look this up. I've heard more people pronounce it Wipler recently. Miss out on Tipman, miss out on Schmitz, right? They have Evan Brown, who's an outstanding center. And I think I'll take the trade off as much as I love those two players. And there's reports they might trade down from 20 and they, they might take Tipman at 27 right? I'm not going to be mad about that as long as we address defensive line a little bit later. Um, but Weipler is a perfect scheme fit. Again, as I talked about Forsyth earlier, there's some questions about his uh, brute strength, uh, but he's experienced. He's played a lot of football at a high level. He'll fit right in. He could start as a rookie. He certainly would push Brown. Maybe Brown ends up pushing Haynes at right guard, uh, but he's a guy that he fixes your long-term center issue. And you waited till 91 to do it, which allowed you to get some other things. We go to the fourth round. There's Skinner, one of my guys, right? If he's there at 124, and typically on these boards, he is. Uh, he's a guy, kind of put him on the Cam Chancellor plan. Where he's going to play special teams as a rookie, probably not going to see the field much. A lot of you don't remember. Cam Chancellor didn't get very many snaps as a rookie. Played special teams only. And then he was ready. Uh, in the fifth round, a, a corner. It's deep corner class. A guy that I've come to recently, uh, Rajon Wright out of Oregon State, um, went to the Seahawks. Uh, he was one of the standouts of the Seahawks' local pro day. 6'2", uh, 200 with a basketball background, which Pete Carroll loves. Uh, really excels in press coverage, physical corner, good technique, and uh, 
in particular, going up against Jordan Addison, uh, his reps were really, really good. At 151, Braden Daniels, offensive lineman, I listed him here at, uh, out of Utah. Another top 30 visit for the Seahawks. The thing I like about him, he's a little undersized at 300 pounds. Um, uh, at and 6'5", played tackle for Utah, played all over the line, but played left tackle, was one of the best pass protectors in the Pac-12. His pass protection numbers are outstanding, projects to guard, and a guy in that outside zone that can really, really move, uh, but also has the versatility to play tackle if you need him to in a pinch. Uh, Cameron Young at 185. Uh, wait a minute, hold on. Nope. Sorry, I was looking at the wrong notes. Uh, then we go to the sixth round, and there's my guy, Evan Hull. I think you wait on running back. If you take a guy earlier, I almost went, I played around. I think I had Roshan Johnson at 88 at one point. But I think the value of getting Evan Hull in the sixth round for all those reasons I listed earlier, um, that's a steal. And that's a guy that can help you play in your rotation right away. And then in the seventh round, you're looking for traits. You're looking for upside, right? They take safeties here a lot. Uh, this might be a good spot for a, for kind of a, a projectable outside linebacker also. Uh, but I want to tap into this tight end group. And Josh Wiley's a guy that's really athletic. He's more of a receiver first type tight end right now, but he's shown some willingness to block and, and a guy who's got some length and he can really move and uh, uh, would kind of fit that offense. And um, I think, again, good value in the seventh round. So uh, here's what I did with my moves here. I got seven picks in the top 100, made five additions to the front seven, four who should make significant contributions as a rookie, um, three guys, uh, we, we've addressed the defensive line. We've addressed edge and pass rush together with the, with the Sanders pick. Um, we added a starting caliber center, an offensive lineman who's versatile, a running back, a receiver, a tight end, right? I tried to check as many boxes as possible. So I'm going to cringe a little bit. Let's go to the comments. See what some of you think. <laughs> uh, here's one uh, from Taker610. If Stroud or Richardson is there at five, I can't see us passing on them again. And I'll talk about this a little bit more Wednesday in the final thoughts show. Um, I can see the argument and um, and even agree with the argument all day long. I can, I can understand the process of taking a quarterback that you think can be a franchise quarterback and, and sitting him for a year or two or three. Um, and I will say this, 99% of the talk that I see out there around this in regards to, well, you already have Gino, is, yeah, but his contract is structured in such a way that you can get out of it after a year, so it's, you can just cut him. If you take a quarterback this year and you think he's ready to play next year and you want to hand the reins over to him, if Gino has a bad year, okay, I guess that's one thing. I don't think he's going to. I am a believer in the talent. And Gino's going to have a good year, if not a better year than last year. The thing that nobody seems to be talking about is if he goes out and plays well again, throws for 4,000 yards and 35 touchdowns, but you've taken Anthony Richardson, you think he's going to be the next Cam Newton, but with a way better attitude, and you're ready to hand the reins over to him, you can trade Geno Smith. He'll have tremendous value because of that reasonable contract that someone would be taking on for years two and three. So that's an option too. I can understand the process, just not what I want to do because this, this roster is really close to being good, but has significant enough holes 
We need players that can make an immediate impact. I don't want to take a red shirt player at five. But if they do, I'll understand it. Uh, let's see. What else do we have here? <laughs> Carter, part of the perfect draft. Ouch. For me, he's a guy you must pass on. Just too big of a risk with his dump truck list of various types of concerns. I would be shocked if JS drafts him. I get it. And you might be right. I've gone back and forth on this. Um, I get it. But I think that the talent in this case is worth potentially taking a risk on if they feel good about it. If he came on his visit, and this is the thing none of us know, just like the just like Billy Bean, Bean said, you don't know. You don't. If he came in here and bombed his interview with them and they just didn't like him, then they no, they won't take him. But there's a there's potential for it. And I also see this. It seems to me from all the polls I've seen and then just reading comments and reactions anytime I talk about Carter, that the fan base, the majority of the fan base is okay with taking him and believes that just take the best player. I don't care. They'll fix him. And the Seahawks see that. They read this stuff. They know what's going on. They take the pulse of the community and the fan base. Um, I don't think there would be significant backlash publicly if they take Jalen Carter. There'd be some concern, some hand-wringing, some trepidation. I don't think there would be backlash. I just don't. Um, uh, let's see. Here's one uh, from from Soon Soon. Same one. Uh, really like much of the rest except Sanders. Okay, not a big not a big fan of Sanders. Um, Many of the non-Carter players are great. Someone else that loves Mingo. Uh, what about Ika as your nose? Maybe if he falls into the early second or early third, if you're really lucky. Um, yeah, I, he certainly fits that mold, kind of young Al Woods. I just think he's a lot more limited. There's a lot more upside uh, to Smith. So anyway, um, well, that was fun. That is my final mock draft. Uh, although I will say this. If you follow me on Twitter, maybe it's not. <laughs> maybe I'll throw another one out there just for fun. Um, also, I will say this before we get off the air. And, and I guess I'll just wrap it up with this. This plays into why I am so concerned about drafting guys this year that can make immediate contributions because the NFC is in flux more than it ever has been in the last few years. The Cardinals. Daniel Jeremiah just called the Cardinals the worst roster in the NFL. The Rams are in complete rebuild mode. Somebody listed a list of their projected 11 starters on defense this year. And outside of Aaron Donald, it's like Aaron Donald and 10 dudes. In San Francisco, who knows what, you know, everybody saw Brock Purdy at the basketball game the other day, raising his arm, high-fiving with his surgically repaired arm. Um, they're going to be good. Obviously, they're going to be good. They might be the class of the NFC right there with Philadelphia. It was two first round picks, so they're going to keep rolling on. But the rest of the NFC, a lot of young quarterbacks are going to be coming into the NFC. A lot of teams rebuilding. And now Aaron Rodgers officially is out of the NFC. Right before I went on the air today, uh, the trade with the Jets was finalized. Um, I'm pretty shocked with how much the Jets gave up for a guy uh, his age, but it's Aaron Rodgers, right? Um, 
and their owner is desperate to win and tired of going through the quarterback carousel. It is a uh, a trade that could net the Jets and very likely will net the Jets, barring injury, two first-round picks for Rodgers. Uh, the one they, well, they basically, okay. You're going to hear people say that. But another quick pet, quick pet peeve, because it's my show and I can say what I want. Uh, they don't, they're not really getting a first round pick this year. They're swapping first. They're moving up three spots, uh, with the jets from 17 to 14. So it's going to be reported as they're getting a first round pick this year. I call that a pick swap, but next year there's a conditional second that becomes a first if he plays 65% of the snaps. Um, that's pretty significant. And that was a little bit more than I was expecting. It's a creative trade that I think works for both teams and makes sense for both teams. But the bottom line is that as, as good as you think Jordan Love might be, uh, Aaron Rodgers is out of the NFC. So there's an opportunity here for the Seahawks um, if they really nail and check some of these boxes uh, and, and really nail this draft. If they do something on par with what they did last year, I truly believe this is going to be a team that can contend to make a lot of noise in the NFC this year. So that's where we're at. Uh, continue to give me your feedback on this as you uh, as you come to it late. You watch it on YouTube. Hop into the comments. And, of course, remember, um, please subscribe so you get notification of new episodes. And to help the show grow, really trying to get to that 1,000 sub mark. Uh, you've been great in your support recently. I really Really appreciate that. And follow me on Twitter at Seahawks Forever. I will be back Wednesday with some final thoughts before the draft. And then Thursday, I'll be live streaming with live reaction of the draft as it goes through the entire first round. We'll have some guests coming in as well. Um, that'll be a lot of fun. So get ready for that. I am Dan Viennes. Thanks for listening to Seahawks Forever. We'll talk to you Wednesday.